Hello and welcome to another Healthy Bite. My name is Dr. Ron Early. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I am recording this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Well, we visited this week's sleep again, as we do often, and I personally do not believe, and I know a lot about sleep, but I don't believe you can talk about it often enough because it, it's like tapping a hoop along. You've got to keep that hoop going by giving, paying attention to it and being vigilant about it and just developing really good sleeping habits. I remember when my daughter was born 36 years ago, the sleep, the pediatrician gave me what I believe was probably, I didn't realize it at the time, the best advice any doctor could give any patient of any age, but she was giving my wife and I advice about our newborn baby. And she said, the thing you have to teach your child to do in the first year of life is to sleep well. And we dismissed that as a ridiculous notion. How can you teach someone to sleep? They either do or they don't. That was 36 years ago. I've learned a lot about sleep in that time, and I keep learning more about it. Sleep is your built-in, non-negotiable life support system. It's free. It's accessible. Its effects are profound on your physical, mental, and emotional health. And you cannot hear that often enough. I'm often asked, uh, how you know, like we we recommend certain things about sleep to people, and they say, how often should I think about that, or how often should I wear this appliance, or how often should I perhaps put tape on my mouth at night? And I go, look, only do it on those nights that you want to sleep well. And a lot of people will look at me and go, oh, okay, that's fine, and and uh, miss the point that you should be trying to sleep well each and every night. Now I know we don't. And uh, the last few episodes with uh, sleep psychologist Rosemary Clancy and again with uh, Dr. Dave McCarty, we talked about insomnia and uh, what we can do about it. But uh, Dave has a wonderful approach to, um, to medicine, to his patients, to practitioners that he teaches. And uh, it's, a, it's a very patient-centered approach. And uh, I'm often asked, uh, because that's how we've described our practice at the Sydney Holistic Dental Center, you know, we've described ourselves for the last 40 years as a patient-centered practice. And the obvious question is, what other kind of practices are there? And uh, <clears throat> there are many. Uh, one type of practice is a symptom-based practice, which many of you will have experienced in your seven to 10 minute consultation with a GP. You go into a GP or maybe even a dentist and you've got a broken tooth and the person will fix it and that's it. Or, or you'll get a prescription from your doctor for your infection, for your inflammation, for your pain, for your poor sleep, for your depression, for your anxiety. There's a pill for every ill and that is a symptom-based approach. Another approach is a practitioner-centered approach where the practitioner places themselves at the center of the patient-practitioner uh, interaction. And uh, I've had the experience with uh, some, uh, particularly specialists, but um, who just feel that you are just so privileged to be in their presence and what they say goes and what they don't know doesn't matter. And if they don't know, they will definitely not tell you they don't know. They will just say there's nothing wrong with you. That is a practitioner-centered approach. And another approach is a financial approach where it is all about upselling and trying to maximize profits. No, 
A patient-centered approach places the patient at the center of the entire experience. And in our practice, all of our practitioners, I mean, I'm fortunate to have five, five and soon to be six partners, and, um, and we all have a very common approach to our patients. If it was us, if it was me sitting in the chair, if it was my wife, if it was my daughter, if it was my best friend, um, what would I be advising this patient knowing everything that I know? And that is a patient-centered approach. Treatment appropriate to a patient. But Dave has a wonderful approach, not just patient-centered, but he takes people on a journey. And I thought I might just share with you that journey. So if you're looking at this on YouTube, feast your eyes. If you're not, that's fine. Um, I'll describe what it is. Now, in Dave's approach, he says sleep apnea finally has a map and he invites his patients and practitioners to walk with us. And he starts in the Bay of Narrative. And this is your first stop on the island, a sort of educational loading zone where you learn how to talk about your own sleep experience to come up with your own set of sleep-wake complaints. Now, this is so important because um, people's experience of sleep is their own. It's very personal. But as a practitioner who's been focused on sleep now for over 20 years, and that's me and Dave, whose entire career has been focused on this, we get to see a lot of patients of varying kinds of sleep, and we read a lot of literature about it. So your experience, and this is a common thing where a patient will say, how are you sleeping? And they'll say, I sleep just fine. And they go, well, do you wake up feeling refreshed? Oh, no, I've never done that. As though that's not unusual. As though, why? What, what's waking up refreshed got to do with sleep? I sleep well. The fact that I don't sleep, wake up feeling refreshed has got something, there's something else related there. Well, no, you need to be in the Bay of Narrative and learn about what is possible. You learn some of the language of the aisle as we explore the different flavors of sleep apnea. Who knew? There are two, obstructive sleep apnea and central sleep apnea. Obstructive being a blockage of the airway around the pharynx. It's got to do with your mouth size, your upper airway size, with your tongue size, with the tone of your laryngeal and pharyngeal muscles. And the fact that 95% of the population don't have enough room for all of their teeth tells us that we're starting behind the eight ball from almost birth. And that is we almost all have narrow jaws and crowded teeth to varying degrees. Thank goodness the human body is more adaptive and that doesn't mean you necessarily have a problem but it predisposes you to some. Um, legend has it that the aisle will only let you leave the barrier of narrative after you've learnt what you've come there to learn. The aisle is kind of magic like that. And Dave even introduces some bird calls, real bird calls, in our first 10 minutes of this week's episode. So after the Bay of Narratives, you then go to a monument, the Five Reasons Monument and a coffee, coffee hut. After you've learnt what you've needed to learn at the Bay of Narratives, you'll magically find your way to the Five Reasons Monument and the coffee hut. Now, the monument is large, unwieldy, and irrefutable. This is set in stone. There's nothing that changes about this. Sphinx-like, Dave says. Its towering presence reminds us that there are five reasons to treat sleep apnea, risk being the first one. It predisposes you to so many health risks, physically and mentally. Snoring is not just 
a social problem that your partner is complaining about. Snoring is a reflection that you have a partially blocked airway. So that is important and it is another one of the, it is the second of the five reasons. Sleep itself, how well are you sleeping and what does a consistently good night's sleep mean? Well, it's a function of both quantity, getting seven to nine hours of sleep a night and quality, breathing well while you're asleep. So sleep is the third reason in the monument. The fourth reason is wake. How are you when you are awake? Are you tired? Uh, do you have the energy to fulfill your potential in life? Because ultimately, that's what I believe the meaning of life is, fulfilling your potential to be the best you can be, whatever that means. And finally, the final reason in the Five Reasons Monument is the the comorbidities. Comorbidities are things like cardiovascular disease, cancer, the over 100 autoimmune conditions, that is the body attacking itself, things like uh, irritable bowel, celiacs, uh, psoriasis, um, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's. There are over 100 autoimmune conditions. Diabetes is another serious comorbidity that predisposes you to all of the above. Uh, obesity is also a, a potentially serious comorbidities. These five reasons will never change. The monument is to be regarded as a permanent structure. Though it's wise to pay respect to the immutability of the five reasons paradigm, the real, react, the real action for you happens at the coffee hut. That's where good conversation takes place. People feel comfortable at the coffee hut. Over a pie and coffee, you will pick apart these reasons carefully, putting them into context context with everything you've learned during your time wandering around the Bay of Narratives. So see, you'll need to have this conversation firmly in mind before you make it across the river to the river of decision. And this is why a seven to 10 minute consultation in a symptom-based practice or even in a practitioner-based practice is just simply just doesn't cut it. You know, if you're serious about sleep, Enter the Bay of Narratives, pay respect to the Five Reasons Monument, and then let's talk about the River of Decision. After your coffee cup discussion, you'll have an important decision to make. Do the reasons you've come up with at the coffee hut justify fording a deep and turbulent river, the legendary River of Decision? If the answer is yes, you've got another decision to make, how are you going to get across? How are you going to overcome this problem of sleep disordered breathing? Before embarking, you'll set some goals based, of course, on the five reasons discussion you had whilst enjoying pie and coffee at the coffee hut. Don't you just love this kind of journey? It's just, uh, I, I love it. I love it. Um, now, you'll then be taken, you'll then take careful stock of the different modes of transport. This is the different treatment options. Positive airway pressure therapy is one, CPAP. And there are many sleep clinics who will diagnose you with a mild, moderate or severe obstructive sleep apnea and then will immediately recommend to you that you buy a CPAP machine. And this is a combination. You have entered a financial and practitioner-centered practice. You see? 
That's what the different practices are all about. You're learning not just about sleep medicine, but you're learning about different practice philosophies because mild and moderate sleep apnea does not necessarily mean that you need a CPAP machine, which is a mask that fits over either your mouth or your nose or both. Oral appliance therapy is another approach. That is, the jaw drops back at night and blocks the airway, causing you to snore or actually stop breathing. And they are called hypopneas, a restriction in breathing, or apneas, a complete blockage of breathing. See, sleep apnea, complete blockage of breathing. And, uh, and the, uh, whether you uh, have a serious condition, you actually have a sleep, can have a sleep study done which measures those um, episodes and how often that occurs in an hour. Surgical approaches is another one. Um, I personally have very rarely, if ever, used surgical approaches, but I guess if you're a surgeon in a practitioner-centered practice, then a surgical approach might seem appropriate. Certainly, um, enlarged tonsils and adenoids are, are sometimes definitely required. Um, and, um, you know, it's interesting to hear how many people have had a deviated septum and have a septoplasty. I've had that done once, and uh, I had an ENT look in my nose about 10 years ago. I had that done when I was 20, and, um, and an ENT looked in my nose and said, um, oh, you need to have, you've got a deviated septum, you need to have a, your septoplasty done. Well, I'd already had it done, and one of the reasons why that may not be addressing the cause, it may be a symptom-based approach to practice, is because the reason people have a deviated septum is because they have a narrow, crowded jaw and a high palate. And the floor, the roof of the mouth, the palate, is also the same bone that is the floor of the nose. So if it's broad and flat, the septum, which is like a T junction there, has plenty of room. But if the floor of the nose is vaulted, then the septum will deviate. So surgical approaches, hypoglossal nerve stimulation therapy, I'm not even sure what that is. Dental orthotropic therapy, this is about expanding jaws and creating more space within the mouth of the tongue and also more space in the upper airway. And this is all about epigenetic potential and it is not restricted to children. I'm embarking on this therapy myself at the age of 67. Buteco breathing, of course, we've talked to Patrick McEwen, the CEO of Buteco International, and we've also talked to Roger Price. And of course, uh, we've spoken to uh, Dr. Rosalba Courtney, who I, I believe is a world authority. She has a PhD in breathing. I've had the privilege of doing her integrated breathing therapy course, a six-month program, and it is much more than just Buteco. I mean, Buteco is a very valuable tool in the toolkit, but it is not the complete answer. And there are other therapies which you can go through in the river of decision. And once you've gone into the river of decision, there is treated territory. The river of decision defies the usual boundaries of physics and logic, so it's never clear where you're going to end up on the aisle after you cross. Though everybody hopes for an easy deliverance to our ultimate goal, which is the Pleasant Dreams Beach, the journey for some can be pretty bumpy. We won't let you walk around in the thorny bush without guidance. This is Dave's reassuring words. Here's where we'll take a deep tour into complications and competing diagnoses, which are everywhere in these parts. 
we'll explore the many faces of sleep pressure toxicity. He looks at a whole range of different things about sleep pressure. And interestingly, we talk about that uh, in, um, in, our, uh, in our episode uh, this week. And, and we explore the badlands of insomnia and we talk about cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, CBTI, uh, which we also discussed with, um, with uh, Rosemary Clancy. And then there is the five-fingered approach mountain. Now, navigation in treated territory can be difficult because it's likely that there will be some some several elements contributing to the sleep-wake complaints you discovered during your time in the Bay of Narratives. Next-level orienteering requires an elevated viewpoint. And it's interesting, here on the aisle, the best spot to gain your bearings is Five-Fingered Approach Mountain. You'll tour this geological oddity to gain insight into your own experience, evaluating your own history for clues of the following. And this is really important, and I wondered whether perhaps before we got into the treated territory, this would be a good place to explore as well, because there are uh, parts to this that are important. Now, we talk about sleep pressure, and there are two things which drive sleep. One of them is sleep pressure. As we, as soon as we wake up, we the cortisol levels uh, start to elevate, and that's what wakes us up in the morning. And as soon as we start moving, our body starts to produce energy. And uh, we go out in the sunlight, and we get a message that the sun is up, and melatonin is starting to be produced. If you get that sunlight, and also you start to move and you start to use energy, which is called, uh, which the currency of energy in the body is adenosine triphosphate, ATP. It's what mitochondria do. And adenosine is really an integral part of producing sleep pressure. And so that is why the more you exercise, uh, that's why exercise is such a positive aspect to sleep. But so is getting out in the sun. And circadian misalignment is a really important issue for us in our modern world because we've been warned about the sun. We're about to do a fabulous episode on vitamin D and sunlight with uh, Dr. William B. Grant. Um, but I digress for a moment. But circadian misalignment is a huge and growing problem because sunlight has been demonized and we surround ourselves with blue light. And that comes from our devices, in our phone, in our lap, on our computers, in our LED cool lights. You know how light bulbs don't get hot anymore? Well, the ones that got hot were called incandescent light. And they were down the red end of the spectrum. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. You know, that that is the spectrum of light. Well, red, the incandescent red light... Uh, which is actually good for us, is, um, is, uh, is hot. And uh, we don't have hot lamps anymore. We have LED lights. So our houses are bathed in blue light, not just our devices, but our houses. And that is why um, creating proactive wind-down time is so important in dimming the lights in the house and getting off devices. Pharmacological influences are huge. And Dave talks about beta blockers. Rosemary Clancy talked about some um, uh, benzodiazepams like Valium, which interfere with the sleep, and alcohol is another one. Medical influences, psychosocial and psychiatric influences are big, 
I mean, you know, when you're really stressed, um, it's hard to sleep and primary sleep diagnosis comes back into it. Remember that from the Bay of Narratives, do you have obstructive sleep apnea, narrow jaws, crowded teeth, small upper airways, uh, loose pharyngeal, laryngeal muscles, um, uh, too much weight around the neck, et cetera, et cetera. So um, these are primary sleep diagnoses. And ultimately you end up in Pleasant Dreams Beach. Everybody on the aisle hopes they'll end up there at Happy Z's Sheep Counting Ranch, located on the pristine shoreline of Sleep Dreams, Pleasant Dreams Beach. It's really great there and they serve good gumbo too. You can tell Dave's from Louisiana. Everybody wants to be here for sure, but too many poor souls get lost along the way, lost in the vast territory of complications and competing diagnosis. Some never find their way and they live in the wild parts of treated territory forever. Um, some just give up, abandoning all hope and go back to untreated territory to mope and throw rocks at the medical system. Good thing we made it to Pleasant Dreams Beach. Anyway, this was a great way of just reviewing sleep and the complications of it and tying it all up in one healthy bite. But we've had so many great episodes. Uh, we started off with our, the sleep physician that I use, uh, Dr. Anup Desai. I've spoken to the sleep whisperer, uh, Chris Winter. Um, I've had various conversations with Dave McCarty now and Rosemary Clancy, and this is an issue we're going to continually learn more about and revisit. I hope this finds you well. Until next time, this is Dr. Ron Ehrlich. This podcast provides general information and discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice or as a substitute for care by a qualified medical practitioner. If you or any other person has a medical concern, he or she should consult with an appropriately qualified medical practitioner. Guests who speak in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions.